This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for September 10th, 2023. The title of the message is Faith in the Midst of Doubt. Good morning. Well, if you would uh, open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, we begin a new series, uh, just a, um, a short uh, topical series on what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, and this morning we are going to look at uh, how, to, how to walk by faith in the midst of our doubts. Luke chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. We're going to look at what it means to trust the Lord uh, in the midst of your doubts or, and when it's hard to trust the Lord. When your eyes and everything around you tells you one thing, while trusting God means doing something totally different. When the Lord tells you to step off the boat, but the wind and the waves tell you you're going to drown, what do you do? For the next eight weeks, we're going to look at what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. It's not just uh, a nice saying that we think of in the Christian life, but it's something that we battle each and every day, uh, every moment through the good times and the bad times of our lives. We're going to look at how to trust the Lord when we have doubts. We're going to look at how to trust the Lord even when everyone and everything around us tells us to give it up, not to try. You don't need to trust the Lord. When everything seems hopeless, my prayer for all of you as we go through this series is that you will cry out like the father whose uh, child was healed. I believe help me in my unbelief. That this idea of, of believing in the midst of unbelief is really what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we hear God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in the darkness of our doubts and of our circumstances. Lord, would you give us your Holy Spirit as I read and, and as I preach, uh, Lord, but also uh, your, to your Holy Spirit as they hear and as they trust that uh, whatever truths people need to hear, that, that your people need to hear, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would seal it uh, and, and uh, impress it upon their hearts. And it would indeed be a light in the midst of their darkness. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just give you a little bit of context here in, in, Luke, uh, in Luke 7. Jesus has been healing and doing miracles throughout the region of Capernaum. And everyone's hearing about it. He's fed the thousands. He's healing the paralyzed. He's raising the dead to life. And everyone's hearing about it, including John the Baptist, Right, who had been preparing the way for the Lord, who has been preaching the coming of the kingdom, 
uh, and and he now he's in prison for speaking out against Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. And he's shackled in a dark and dank, lonely prison. And he has doubts. Like the best of us, he has doubts about who Jesus is. And so here then now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse uh, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, um, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were uh, blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Can you imagine being in prison for trusting in the Lord? Can you imagine faithfully following the Lord and being thrown into, into jail and have everything taken away from you? You could have kept your mouth shut. You could have kept your head down. But here you are in the deepest, darkest, most severe prison in all of Israel wondering if you've done the right thing if you've put your trust in the right person. You were called to be a prophet of the Lord, and so you spoke up and you spoke out. You were called to prepare the way of the Lord, so you preached his coming. And when you saw him, you cried out for all the world to hear, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You baptized him and you saw the heavens open. You saw the Spirit of God descend down upon him as a dove. You heard the very voice of God tell you, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Surely he must be the Messiah. But what am I doing here, beaten, starved, in chains, all by myself? Is he the one? Is he the Messiah, the Christ? the promised son of David, the savior of the world? Is he the one whom God promised to save us? Or is he like all the other false, self-proclaimed messiahs who fall and ultimately fade away? If he's the one, then why doesn't he just save us now? Why do I have to suffer like this? Why has my life turned out so differently than I had hoped or planned? Why hasn't he saved me from all of this? Is he the one, or shall I look for another? In the midst of the darkness and doubt, these are the questions that we all ask, don't we? Here in this narrative, we learn how to struggle in our doubts, because that's what John is doing here. How to walk by faith, not by sight how to believe in the midst of your unbelief. 
And here we learn how to trust in the Lord when we are doubting in the darkness. We're doubting in the darkness of our circumstances, broken dreams, unfulfilled hopes, suffering, sad, and alone. How do we trust in the Lord in the midst of our doubts? That's what I want us to look at this morning. Let's look at how John does that and let it, and let it be informative for us. First, uh, it's okay to have doubts in the midst of difficult circumstances. What matters is what you do with them. Beginning in verse 18, John the Baptist illustrates how to trust the Lord in the midst of those doubts. We need to have first the, the, the right expectations of the Lord when life doesn't go the way that we want or hoped. This is a pitfall for many of us in our Christian life and faith. We think that just because we put our trust in Christ, that all of a sudden our life is going to become carefree, suffering-free, problem-free, hardship-free. And so when life isn't as good as we thought it should be, we think God failed. Right? We don't articulate it this way, but deep down in our hearts, when we're struggling with doubts because of our circumstances, it's because God has not met our expectations. Our doubts arise because we expected a better life. We expected a happier life. We expected God to do certain things that he hasn't done thus far. What I'm saying here is that that sometimes our doubts arise because we expect the wrong things from God. We think if God doesn't give us what we think we need or what we want to be happy, that he's the one who's failed. Or that he doesn't care. Or he doesn't really have the power to save us from the disappointments and difficulties of our lives. And so we struggle. This is part of what, what I think is very helpful, what religious sociologists call moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a kind of low-key uh, prosperity gospel or prosperity Christianity. It's the common belief that God exists and wants us to be happy. And the way that we become happy is that we, be, we try to be as good as we can. And that, that God is the one who fits himself into our lives and fulfills all of our hopes and dreams. That's how God works in our lives. That his primary purpose is to make us happy. You see, when our doubts arise out of the fact that we're suffering and life is hard, uh, it means that our faith was not in God, but in our circumstances. Moralistic therapeutic deism says Faith in Christ means a happy life. So when we hit some hard bumps in the road, faith in Christ doesn't seem to work for us, and so we have a crisis of faith. We want a God who works to make us healthy, happy, and prosperous. We put our faith in the Lord as an add-on to what we've already achieved. So if life doesn't work out the way we hoped, then we just, try, we just shed God and try on whatever or whoever can can save us, so to speak, from the discomfort or unhappiness in our lives. 
This is why I think John asked this question. Maybe like other Jews, he thought that the Messiah was going to be a military or a political savior. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to battle Herod and the Romans and free him. Or maybe he was going to usher in the glory of the kingdom right then and there, and everything is going to be made right. But yet here he is, still stuck in prison. But in contrast to that moralistic therapeutic deism, true biblical Christianity means trusting in the Lord for who he is. It means trusting in him regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whether we feel happy or not, regardless of whether or not life goes our way. The very call of the gospel goes against the grain of what the world tells us happiness is all about. What did Jesus say? He says, come, follow me, deny yourselves, take up your crosses. He says, in this life, there will be suffering. If the world hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The master is not, the disciple is not above the master. And so when our circumstances cause us to struggle, maybe it's because we had the wrong expectations that our faith in Christ was going to make our life better according to the world's standards. Maybe it's because our faith was tied to those circumstances. Jesus said faith is like building a house on a solid rock so when the storms of life and floods come, our faith won't wash away. But when we tie our faith even a little bit when Jesus is not the sole object of our faith, our hope, and our trust, when we tie even just a little bit of our faith to our circumstances, then when the storms and floods of life come and they carry away those circumstances and our faith is tied to it, then what's going to happen to our faith? It's going to go with it as well. So what do we do? We do what John the Baptist does here. We go straight to Jesus with our doubts. He sends two of his disciples asking the question in verses 18 to 20, are you the one who is to come, right? Are you the promised Messiah or shall we look for another? Now, two things. If you have doubts, don't go searching for them on the internet. The internet is the worst place to find your answers for your doubts. Go to the Lord first in prayer. Isn't that what John is doing here? Right? He's, he's praying to the Lord. He's asking the Lord, talking to the Lord. Open God's word and ask him to show you where your faith really lies. Ask him to show you where your doubts are coming from. Tim Keller says that doubt is, a, is really a type of faith. It's an alternative faith, the flip side of biblical faith. Uh, it, it's it's a, an alternative faith in something else that makes you doubt because you're, tr you're trusting in something in a different, in something else. And so you're, you're putting your doubts uh, uh, about Christ. He says this about doubt. 
Skeptics must learn to look for a type of faith hidden within their reasoning. All doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really a set of alternate beliefs. You cannot doubt belief A from a position of faith and belief B. For example, if you doubt Christianity because there can't just be one true religion, you must recognize that this statement is itself an act of faith. If you went to the Middle East and said there can't be just one true religion, nearly everyone would say, well, why not? The reason you doubt Christianity's belief A is because you hold an unprovable belief B. Every doubt, therefore, is based on a leap of faith. And so look for the alternative faith that underlies your doubts. What are you really putting your faith in? That's causing you to doubt and then doubt your doubts. Then go to trusted Christian friends, go to your elders, go to your parents, go to your uh, Bible teachers, come to me, your pastor, or someone else you trust, uh, and, and talk to them about your doubts. Let them speak into your life and look at your doubts together. Uh, This is the beautiful thing about being in a church community, that you can doubt together, uh, that that we we can encourage each other. Somebody else can give you better answers because maybe they struggled with those same doubts and God answered them through a specific passage or a specific life experience or something that God did in their lives that, that helped them move beyond those doubts to solidify their faith in the midst of uh, whatever worldviews came their way. My hope is that our church will be a place where Christians and skeptics alike can ask questions and share their doubts without being judged. Uh, I I think... uh, um, Many churches, uh, and, and maybe we've experienced this uh, during our time here, where expressing some kind of doubt is, brings about some kind of shame or people feel like they'll be judged. Friends, brothers and sisters, uh, Christianity is not a glass house. The gospel and the truth of Scripture and who Jesus is is not so delicate that we can't ask questions. We can't express our doubts. It's it, it, Christianity is built on answering people's questions and their doubts. Uh, John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, the one who leaped in, in his mother's womb when he came close to Jesus, who confessed and experienced all of these miracles uh, of who Jesus is, he had his doubts too. And, he, and Jesus, he, Jesus doesn't berate him. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't rebuke him. How dare you have doubts about who I am? No, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he loves John. And so he lovingly and gently answers. And the same ought to be for you and for me. So come with your skepticism and your doubts. Jesus welcomes them. And he's going to answer them. And this brings us to my second point. In the midst of questions, Jesus gently and gladly answers our doubts. 
He doesn't rebuke John's questions. He answers them. And look at how he does that. He gives evidence to who he is. He shows them who he is by what he does. When John's disciples come to Jesus and ask the question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? What does Jesus say? I mean, excuse me, look at what Jesus does in that hour, right? It's almost as if, are you the one, are you the one, or should we, should we wait for another? And then at that moment, Jesus starts to heal people of diseases, plagues, evil spirits, and many who are blind, he bestowed sight. He's healing people. He's answering with an action. He answers with his power to heal, to restore, to save, and to heal, Uh, He illustrates the nature and the character of his saving power. If you're asking, am I the one? Look at what I do. If, if, If something walks like a duck, talks like a duck, acts like a duck, then what is it? It's a duck. If he acts like a a savior, he does the works of a savior, speaks like a savior, then what is he? He's the savior. This is the whole point of Jesus' healing and miracle ministry that they testify to who he is. They are the telltale signs of the coming Messiah. See, over and over again throughout the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 18 to 19, Isaiah 35, 5 to 6, Isaiah 61, 1 to 2, over and over again, the sign that the Messiah has come is that The blind are given sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. Prisoners are preached the good news, and they are freed. Now, this is why Jesus began his career reading Isaiah 61. In the hearing of these words, uh, it is fulfilled, and then he sat down. Jesus was saying, here's the sign of the Messiah, and this is what I do. I'm doing the signs of the Messiah. And it's almost as if he's quoting, almost as if he's quoting and alluding to these passages from from Isaiah. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and even the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. If If you see the signs of the Messiah, then guess what? He is the Messiah. Ultimately, that's how Jesus answers our doubts, by reminding us of what he has done to save us. How do we know that he's the one and we don't have to look to another? Look at what he did. Look at what he said. Look at his healing power, his sin-free life, his love and compassion for sinners, the poor and the needy, uh, for his forgiveness of sins, doing that which only God can do. Look at his betrayal, his arrest, his suffering, his torture, his nailing to the cross, his bearing of our sin and shame and guilt, being forsaken of the Father, his punishment, bearing the wrath of God in our place, his love for us as he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The tearing of the curtain into his presence from top to bottom, the sign of becoming the new and living way, through the rent veil, the broken body of Christ, signifying the the reconciliation and redemption that we have. 
His dying for sinners so that in rising we might be justified. His ascending to God's right hand to intercede for us and save us to the uttermost and now is calling sinners to himself in the preaching and the call of the gospel to all the corners of the world, to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people, including you and me. Friends, brothers and sisters, whatever doubts you have, go straight to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Are you the one, or should I look for another? And Jesus will answer you. And what I think is also wonderful here is I'm sure John's disciples also had their doubts. And so when you come to other folks who have their doubts, go to Jesus together. Open scriptures together. Read, read the Bible and, and look at what he actually says, how he answers. And, and the way that, and here's the good news of our doubts, is that he will answer them. He's not afraid of them. Um, and go to him. Remember what he did for you on the cross in the empty tomb. Go to him with your doubts and anchor your faith, not in your circumstances, but in him. And when you go to him with your doubts, he will not get angry or disappointed. He will answer all your doubts through his work and through his words. And just think of John the Baptist shackled in the, in the darkness of that prison, broken, beaten, dirty, seemingly forsaken and abandoned by everyone, and clinging to that great promise that Jesus pronounced to him. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, who doesn't stumble because I don't meet their expectations, but looks to me for salvation, who sees what I've done and sees who I am. We need to answer the doubts with nothing less than the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for answering our doubts with who you are. Lord, some of us, are experiencing doubts. Some of us uh, uh, unknowingly uh, are considering or, or have a moralistic, therapeutic, deist uh, point of view about our faith. Lord, would you help us uh, to put our trust in the true Christ, the true gospel, uh, that where our faith um, is firm and solid, and we can go to you with our doubts no matter what. Bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.